0: I do want to start tonight off with the word of prayer. So let's go ahead and go to the Father in prayer right now. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and share your word, Lord. I pray that you be with us tonight, that you allow me to be a vessel for your word, for your story that has become a part of my story. And so I pray that as we get ready for tonight, Lord, that you will open our ears and our heart for what you would have us hear, and that may we become more like you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so this week's going to be just a little bit different, obviously. I'm not Brother Jeff, but hopefully you guys will still be excited to hear the Word of the Lord. But here's how we're going to do this. Well, actually, let me back up and give you just a little bit of a, uh, a recap of how I got to where I'm at right now, at least for this week. Um, a couple weeks ago, Brother Jeff knew that he and Andy and Jeremy were going to be on a trip to Orlando. They're headed to a to a pastor's conference. And so he, he came to me and said, hey, Brandon, would you be interested in uh, taking care of Sunday night, August 27th for us? Sure, sure Brother Jeff, no problem. I'd be, I'd be glad to do that. Jamie and Chelsea, I know, can handle the kiddos with the, without me for a night. And so I said, absolutely, I'd love to do that for you. They said, it's been on my heart for you to share your testimony with our church. And I thought about that. It was one of those that kind of took my breath away in the moment. But as the more and more I thought about it, as, as a children's pastor of, of Start Baptist Church, I thought that it might be important for you guys to know a bit about my story. And so that's what I'm going to attempt to do tonight. A couple years ago, Bradley Parker, in our Sunday school class, we, we took, I don't know, several months for each family to tell a little bit about their story. And so that began my journey of writing down and trying to outline my testimony. And so I do have some notes that I'll probably glance back on just to make sure I don't leave out anything important, but as you guys know, there's no way for us to tell every little detail of our story, but what I do hope is that as I tell a bit about my story tonight is that in actuality you hear his story, and I just get to be a part of it, and so that's what I am excited about, a bit nervous to tell you the good, and the bad, and the ugly of my life, but I do believe, and I've learned to believe this, that we all have a story because A bit of my story, right before I jump into actually from kind of beginning to end or at least up to the present, hopefully it's not coming to an end anytime soon, but (laughs) beginning to the present is um, I did not grow up in church. As a, as, a, as a young boy, every once in a while I'd go with a friend or I'd go with my grandparents, but I did not grow up in church. And so whenever I started to go to church and I began to hear testimonies, I thought a testimony was when somebody had hit rock bottom, like they were in a, a near-death accident or they'd been struck out on drugs. And like, I thought that was the only people who were allowed to share their story because God had saved them from the the Maori pits, the the, the pit of hell uh, on earth, and I thought that that's, wh- that's what a testimony was. And so for the longest time, I didn't believe that I had a story worth telling. I just thought that, well, my, my life, honestly, for the most part, has been pretty good. Um, you know, I, I was raised in a good household. You know, I, life has just come come fairly easy to me compared to, to some people and the struggles that, that we go through. And So I just didn't think I had a story to tell, but but God began to teach me that we all have a story. And the beauty of that is that all of our stories are a little bit different, and they do intertwine and they do intermingle with one another, but we all have a story that is worth sharing because uh, I think that God is a part of our stories. Whether we realize it or not, God is in our lives and chasing after us, but I do think that we all have a story to share. And so I need a little bit of help to get started tonight. So if you happen to have your Bible, I need help from at least three of you. I want somebody to go to Romans 8. I want somebody to go to Ephesians 2. And now I need somebody to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So anybody want to help me out with Romans 8? All right. Ms. Leslie's got that one. All right. What about Romans 12? I mean, 1 Corinthians 12. That's the one that's a little bit longer. Anybody care to read a bit of a longer passage? All right. Who is that in the back? I can't see. All right. We got it in the back, okay? And then let's see Ephesians two. That one's a short short and sweet, but it's a good one. All right, Bradley got that one. All right, so Ms. Leslie, I'll come back to you at the end. And let's start with 1 Corinthians 12. And in fact, Chris, I know I'm going to be out of shot for just a second, but so we have a mic back here. Let's read this, and y'all just listen because it's going to be a part of our story that we're going to look at tonight. So First Corinthians. Chapter 12 talks about us being a part. You're good? You're good? Okay. <laughs> about being us, being a part of the body, right? Y'all remember how Paul talks about there's many different parts in the body, but yet we're all one? And so that's what we're going to read about real quick right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right. So if you'll read right here, just 12 through 27.
1: Okay. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all of the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ears should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together together Giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it.
0: Thank you, Ms. Very good. All right, Miss Hedda. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives us this illustration about the body right? And so, you can take any part of the body that you want to, and I would argue that it's an important part of the body. Maybe, just maybe, we have certain parts that we'd say are maybe a little more important. Like, if I didn't have my head, I would, I would, I would be in bad shape, right? So, I get that. I get that. But, you know, like like my pinky toe, for example. Like, I would think that I could probably get by without the pinky toe, but I like my pinky toes, right? And I want to keep my pinky toes, and they're there for a reason. Maybe my balance would be a little off or something like that if I didn't have my pinky toes. But what about this? Paul says, well, what if we were all ears? Like, I like my ears, and I think that they serve a purpose, but I don't like to think that my ears are my most attractive feature, right? Maybe you like your ears, and you you know, you put your earrings in it, and, and they're nice, and they're beautiful, but like, I don't want to be one big ear or a whole bunch of ears. That would just not... One, be very, very attractive. Number two, it would not be very functional because it would just, you'd just be a big ear, right? And so Paul uses this analogy of the body to talk about how we are all important, and yet when we all come together, guess what? It's a beautiful body. We are a beautiful organism, organism sorry, <laughs> could get that word out, a beautiful organism created by him for his purposes. And then Heather read to us that when we're all together and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, guess what? It's beautiful. And when we're not all well, like if I have the stomach bug or my pinky toe is hurting, guess what? My whole body uh, suffers because of that, right? You ever stumped your toe and thought, I'd rather cut this this thing off than then have a hurt toe, right? And we tend to suffer when we're not beautiful as the body, and we'll see tonight in the story that I'm going to share with you how it's beautiful how the body comes together as one, yet we all have different purposes and different stories to tell, yet a part of his story, right? All right, Bradley, you got Ephesians 2.10. It's short. You can holler. I believe in you. Somebody in this room recently shared that as one of their favorite verses. Anybody want to admit to that? I know it's somebody in this room, and I couldn't remember. I thought it was Miss Donna. I went and asked her. She said, I like that verse, but it wasn't me, right? But Ephesians 2.10, as Bradley just mentioned to us, reminds us that we are all God's workmanship. Like, we are his craftsmanship we have been created in him to do good things that he's already prepared in advance for us to do so even as a little boy whenever I wasn't going going to church because that's not what my family did he knew my story ahead of time and he was preparing me in some way somehow to be the children's pastor in 2023 at Start Baptist Church how that makes sense I do not know but I know that it's his story Right? And then Miss Leslie uh, is gonna read one from Romans eight, and it's one of Brother Jeff's favorite verses. In fact, he read it to us or mentioned it to us in the uh, this morning in the service. Miss Wanda, what's what's that reference? Do you remember what it is? What is it? Romans eight twenty-eight. All right, Miss Leslie, what's Romans eight, twenty-eight? And we know that all things God works good, him to according to his purpose. So somehow, some way God takes our story. And the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he's continuing to work things for him, for those that he loves and are called according to his purpose. Some way, even in my craziness and my stupidity and my stubbornness, God still has a way to use those parts of my story for his good because he knows that I love him and he knows that he has called me for his purposes. So I use that as a setup to tell you the story that I'm going to share with you tonight. And I'm sure I'm going to miss some things and I'm going to get some things out of order. But what I want you to hear in this story tonight is that I know, I believe now, 38 years later, 38 years into the story, I believe that he's been working all things for his purposes. And I know now, I didn't always know this, but I know that I'm a part of his workmanship. I'm his crafty, I've been crafted by him for his purposes and I get to be a part of the body. I'm no more special than you guys. I get to go hang out with kids pretty much every week, and I absolutely love it, but that's not for everybody, right, Melissa? Would you do that? She probably wouldn't do that, <laughs> right? And there's a lot of us in, our, in this room that are like, help me out. That's not, that's not my job, but guess what? Jamie and Chelsea and I absolutely love it, and we pour our hearts into your kiddos, and that's what God has called us to, at least for this season. Who knows what it's going to look like 10 years from now, but we know in this, in this moment That's what he called us to do, and that's a part of our story for right now. So I'm going to back up for you. Just kind of think those, keep those three references in mind as we jump through this story tonight, and I share this with you as we go. So, I mentioned this to you a moment ago, but whenever I grew up, I was born in 1985, so I'm 38, I think. Katie, isn't that right? I think we're 38 these days. Somewhere, you know, at some point, I don't know at what point it was for me, but like at some point, you kind of start losing count, and you're like, you don't get to have these big extravagant birthdays anymore, and you know, it's fine. No big deal. I've got five kids, and so I'm way more focused on their ages and their birthdays than mine, but... 38 years into the story. So I was born in the summer, 1985. And I always loved it growing up because I was born to parents that were 20 and 19. My dad was 20 whenever I was born. My mom was 19. So whenever I was coming up in school, I always had the young parents, right? Right. Katie and I laugh about this because when she goes to Abigail's in high school now when she goes to high school orientation she's the young mom but when she goes to pre-K orientation she's the old mom in there, right? <laughs> and, so, and so, it's just funny now because we have such a range from 3-year-old to 14-year-old that we that we get to experience all of it, right? We are the we at the front of the class, we at the middle of the class, we at the back of the class, right? And so I always liked it that I that I grew up with young parents, right? I I don't know why, but it was like everybody be talking about their parents were 40 I'm like no mine's 23 you know and I was like I was excited about that but it really had no reason to be other than I just had the my my claim to fame was that I had young parents and I I did love that right but being born to young parents can be tough too because they were learning as I was learning to be honest And, and Katie and I we had Abigail fairly young not quite that young but man, we were just growing up. We were just now trying to learn how to be married. And, and so I understand that now from a parent's perspective, but I always thought it was kind of cool as a, as a young boy. But when we were growing up, church was not in our regular routine. My grandparents went to church. They were pretty involved in church, but my parents were not so much. And so I did not grow up in church learning uh, the, the stories that are in Scripture. Every once in a while, I might get a nugget here or there and, and kind of know that there was a flood. At least the Bible talks about a flood, but I didn't know about... Noah and his sons and their wives and how all that worked out. Maybe I knew a bit about a story about a giant and this little guy who would become king, take out this giant with this slingshot. As a young boy, that's a pretty cool story, whether you believe in the Bible or not. That's pretty neat. And so I would grab these nuggets every once in a while, but I didn't really have a grasp of who God was and that he was our creator and that we've been made in his image because those are just not the things that I'd be taught. In fact, I remember I was probably in grade school, uh, elementary school, later on in in elementary school, and I even remember thinking, I'm glad I don't have to go to church like these other people because for me, the weekend was like, I didn't have to go to school, right? I've got an extra day on the weekend. I don't have to get up early or if I do get up early, I can go do whatever I want to do type deal, right? Now, my parents were I wouldn't say really strict. I mean, it wasn't like I was running the roads and doing drug deals in elementary school. I just mean like I didn't have to go to church, and so I didn't lose a half a day on the weekend to go do whatever it was that they were doing. I didn't know what they were doing. They could have been having the biggest time in the world, and I just didn't know. I just knew I didn't have to go, and so I could go ride my bike or do whatever it is that I wanted to do. But it just wasn't a part of my early foundation. But in elementary school, when I was 11 or 12 years old, I had a friend that invited me to church. And for a short stint, I went with his family and even got baptized because they were telling me that this is what you should do. And so at about 11 or 12 years old, I was first baptized because I was going with this uh, church to family, <laughs> to church to family, with this family to church. And it was just something they kept saying, you should be baptized. You, you should do this. And I even remember they were so excited for me whenever I finally said, yes, I'll do this, whatever this is that you're asking me to do. And we went home, and I was afraid to tell my parents. And it, and it wasn't that I was, thought my parents were going to kick me out of the house. I just didn't have a, an understanding of what was happening, much less my parents who didn't go to church have an understanding of what was happening. So I thought it was something that was going to hurt their, their feelings or hurt our family for, for some reason. I, I can't explain it to you, but even as a young boy, I knew that there was a disconnect there. And I didn't quite grasp what it meant to be baptized and to be saved. But at least this was a family that was pouring into me and showing something that was a little bit different than, than, than what my own family was showing me, or at least what was a part of our normal uh, story, our normal weekly activities. So in my childhood, that's one thing that I do remember. I remember not going to church a whole lot. And now uh, I look back and think it, it's a part of my story and I'm okay with it and I'm glad that God continued to work things out. But there's part of me that wishes maybe I would have, Life would have been a little bit different if I would have known those stories growing up. So obviously, for me, it's a big part that not only are my kids invested in church, but I love investing in your kids as well because I think that those stories can shape our lives and we can see things from a little bit different perspective when we start going through tough times, even as a young kid, right? But there's a couple other things that happened in my, in my childhood. And then I want to share with you, and just because they were part of stories. They weren't huge difference makers, but they were just part of my story. So in second grade, I want to say it was second grade, we lived in a trailer. I grew up in Swartz. I was born, actually, at the old North Monroe Hospital and I uh, grew up in Swartz, and our, our trailer burned. We were gone to my aunt's house, actually, and my parents were going on a date or something like that, and we got word that our, that our house was on fire. And all I remember thinking in that moment was, as a second grader, what am I going to do about my toys? You know, like, like, as a kid, I was not concerned about where I was going to live. I was not concerned about having clothes. Like, I, that's just the thing, the, the one thing that I remember from that situation, that what am I going to do about my toys? Well, what happened as a result of that, my family moved then to West Monroe. And so it was just, I don't know if that's where we found a house, if it, it was just more convenient. I don't know. We just moved to West Monroe whenever our house burned. And so it was, we, we, I remember moving schools from Start Elementary to Highland Elementary uh, over in West Monroe. And, man, I loved it. We were probably a mile or two from the house. Me and my brother rode our bikes to school every single day. And, and that's just one of those memories for me with me and my brother getting to ride our bikes to school. I don't know why that's a big deal to me. Like, that's just how we went to school. And I even remember sometimes this one moment sticks out, went to school one day, and it was cold, but you know how sometimes it's chilly in the morning and a warm-up, and like I loved recess, and I loved school, and so like I was going to wear shorts any day that I could, and I got to school, and it was 30-something degrees, and it probably was not going to warm up a whole lot that day. Now look, it wasn't like I was taking a 10-mile journey, so I was just, we could get to school pretty quick on our bikes, and my teacher was like, dude, what are you wearing to school? I'm like, you give me a chance to wear shorts, I'm going to wear shorts, and so I don't know why some of these things just stick out of my memory, but I I do remember us riding, having the opportunity to ride our bikes to school every day, and that being a huge thing to me. In fact, it was such a big deal to me that two things happened. My brother and I got into racing bikes and and BMX, and and we had jumps in our yard, and we would race at Lazar Point was where it was at back then, and so that was pretty cool. We got to be a part of that. But the other thing that I remember, and y'all are going to find this funny, I do now, is I loved riding my bike so much that I had convinced myself, I had made it up in my mind, that even whenever I got older, I'm not going to have a vehicle. I'm just going to ride my bike everywhere. (laughs) It's like, once again, the things we think about when we're elementary kids, where are my toys, you know, whenever my house burns down, and whenever I get older, I'm riding this bike that I'm on wherever I go. You know, and I'm sure that bike, you know, was was itty-bitty, but somehow that's how I was going to get everywhere. I guess that's how I was going to raise a family. That's how I was going to go get groceries. But I just remember thinking, I don't know why these people drive vehicles everywhere they go. I got my bike, I'm good, let's roll. And so those are those are good memories to me. I grew up with three younger brothers. I'm the oldest of four and I love that too. I loved having young parents and I loved having three brothers. It was like the idea, if you had uh, more than two or three kids, like people, you know, I got a little wide-eyed, I've got five, I still get that that, that look, right? You, you have five kids? Yes, I have five kids, and, and we make it work somehow, some way, but I just love telling people that there were four boys, because you could always get that reaction, like, your mama must be some kind of special, and she was. I'm not going to take that away from her. Somehow, she kept us all alive, and for the most part, we're pretty sane these days, and so um, I had four brothers. And the other neat thing that my parents did, Katie and I did not choose to do this. I tried to talk her into it, but she wouldn't do it. But we all have B names, right? So, Brandon, Bradley, Ben, and Brent. And so, I, this is another thing that I just loved about our family. Four boys, and all started with B, and my dad was Brian. And so, all five of us started with Bs. I just thought that was neat, a, a neat characteristic about our family that, once again, doesn't make much difference in my story. I just thought that it was kind of cool. And so, as we were growing up, Um, let's see what else I wrote in here. Oh, this is, this is good. You might want to know this. I was a mama's boy growing up, you know, and, and so, um, I absolutely adored my mom. I love my dad to death. He was, he was, he was tough on us at times, but he was a super, super good dad. He treated us well. He taught us about hard work and respect, but if I needed something or if I was in trouble, better believe I was going to mama, right? She was kind of my, I don't, I don't know, she was not my scapegoat, that's not the right word, but she was my defense. I knew that I could go to her and I could share anything with her, and she would serve as that uh, mediator between between me and dad, because I knew whatever it was, he was going to be tough on me, and I needed somebody to be tough on me, but I also, uh, as a mama's boy, know I could kind of go curl up in her arms and she was going to take care of me. And so that's going to loop back a little bit later Uh, own but just kind of think keep that in the back of your mind that that I definitely was a mama's boy and I have no shame about that I'm still a mama's boy to this day in fact when Katie and I got married she taught me had to stop being a mama's boy because I would still call my mama up and ask her things and she's like Brandon we need to start figuring this out together stop calling your mama we're gonna be okay right (laughs) but all together we had a really really good childhood me and my three brothers we had a really good childhood we grew up Our parents, you know, we played whatever we want to play. Mostly we played baseball. My dad loved golf, and so I remember being pretty young. I didn't play whenever I was younger, but I remember tagging along with him, and I would get to ride in the cart and all that good stuff. I do, once again, have one more funny story about that. My dad loved playing sports, but he was super competitive. And if you've ever played with me or my kids, you probably see that. Carson probably gets this most honestly from me. He, he has not won a great winner, but he is a very, very sore loser. And so he just gets that honestly for me. I've just learned to control my emotions a little bit better than he does. But we're just not good losers. And so one day I was at the golf course with my dad, and he had not played well. He always played with his brothers and his dad. And he got so mad, he left me behind at the golf course. And, it, you know, it's, it's just little things in life that, you know, you remember stick out. Like, I remember going to the course, and I remember those good times, but I also remember getting left behind because my dad didn't play well. And he was so mad, he's like, I'm gone. You can find a ride home with your uncles. I was like, all right, whatever, Dad. You know, and so it's those things that tend to stick out in our life that, for whatever reason, um, have a place in our, in our minds. All right, so here's where I want to jump to right now. In middle school, remember, I did not grow up in church, but in middle school, two things really stick out. One, life became a little more difficult for me because that's where we're trying to start kind of figure things out, and our bodies start to change, and which group am I going to hang out with? You know, just life stuff, right? So I had a hard time kind of figuring out where I was going to fit in, but the beauty of that story was that my best friend in middle school, his family went to church. And so remember, at 11 or 12, somewhere in there, I'd gone for a short stint with another good friend and their family. But in middle school, here's the way that worked. If friends stayed at my house on Saturday night, they didn't have to go to church because my family didn't go to church. But if I stayed the night at friends' houses that went to church, it was just the rule. You're getting up and you're going to church with them, which didn't bother me. It wasn't like I was avoiding church. It's just not what we did on a regular basis. So my very best friend in middle school, his family went to church. And, and I love, my kids do the same thing. I would rather stay at anybody's house than at my house on the weekends. And it wasn't because I was trying to get away from my house. I just absolutely love staying at Friends houses. And so my kids are the same way. They either ask to have somebody over or go somewhere, and they would do it on school nights if we had let them, right? Like, that's just, they love being around their friends, and I was the same way. And so whenever I would stay at this friend's house, we would get up on Sunday mornings, and we would all go to church together. And then that same summer, I think my seventh grade summer, he invited me to go to church camp with him, just youth camp, right? And the way they did it, this was at First West, because I grew up in West Monroe, and their family lived close to First West, so that's where we were going. And they hosted their own youth camp at, uh, now it's uh, Louisiana Christian College uh, at uh, LC, right? Louisiana College. Yeah, in Pineville, that's right, Maswana. So we we would load up on buses, and we'd head over to Pineville, and they did this amazing youth camp. And it was the first time in my life, because I'd gone to Sunday school, and I'd gone to church. And, and at that time, Dr. Youth, y'all, if y'all happen to know the name Dr. Youth, David Youth, he was the pastor at First West, and he became my pastor as I began to go to church. And that dude was a fabulous storyteller, and he could share the gospel like no other. no other. And I absolutely loved him. But my end to that was to wake up and go to church with this, with this family, and he invited me to youth camp. And at youth camp was the first time that I remember God getting a hold to my life. And beginning to say, hey, Brandon, I want you, too, to be a part of this story that you've been shared with for all these years. I know you didn't grow up in the church and understanding these stories, but you're now getting to hear these stories. And guess what? Your story is a part of these stories as well. And so in middle school, not only was I beginning to struggle with where do I fit in and how do I get through life and what looks right and what do I, what, how do I dress and all that stuff that comes with middle school. But I also, on the flip side, began to understand that God wanted me to be a part of his family, which is greater than trying to fit in with any middle school bunch that I could try to fit in with. So it was this, like we read in scriptures, it, it was a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. I knew God was calling me to something that was different, but at the same time, I still had to show up to school and try to find a way to fit in, and I wasn't sure how that was working out. The good thing is, is that God won that battle, and he began to call me, and he began to make a difference in my life. And slowly but surely, I began to sort of creep away from trying to fit in with people and just rely on him. And then, because I was relying on him, I began to fit in and find kind of my niche with my, with my buddies, right? And so we had, we had a group of, uh, of, of middle school buddies. that There were about seven of us that all had the name Brandon. Apparently, in 1985, that was a pretty popular name. And we all had nicknames. And I don't know that I can remember... All of them, but um, oh man, I, there was a, there was a Brandon. I want to just share these with you because they're funny and they stick out to me. But there was a a guy by the name of Brandon Walker, so we called him Brandon Walker, Texas Ranger. Like it was things like that. Okay, so so I was Brandon McQuillan, so they called me Brandon McQuillan Willan and Dylan, right? And so like. All of us went to church and we were all invested in youth group, but we all happened to have the name Brandon, so we all made these nicknames for each other. And once again, because I was starting to rely on the Lord, I began to find friends that also relied on the Lord and life just became a little easier, right? Middle school life is never easy, um, but it's just, it became a little bit easier because I began to rely on him. And so that was, that was middle school age, and then the Lord continued to work on me. This is where I really began to hear the stories that I probably should have learned as a little kid, but I began to hear these stories in Scripture that came to life for me. In fact, whenever I was early in high school, probably a freshman, sophomore, maybe my junior year, somewhere in there, I read through the Bible. It took me a little over a year, but I decided, hey, if I'm going to commit this, to this thing about being a believer, and God had got a hold of my life, and he's calling me to something bigger, like I probably should re- read his word from beginning to end. And listen, that's not something that I'm going to put on you. It's just something that, the God, that God had called me to. Like, if you're going to believe in his word, can I borrow If you're going to believe this, you probably at least should take a glance at it all the way through, right? And so I read through this and I began to understand at least a little bit about his people and the Israelites, and all the stories of them being in captivity in Egypt, and Moses bringing them out, headed to the promised land, but then they fall short again, and then God eventually uses Joshua and get them to the ca- You know, all those stories began to come to life to me that I'd never had any re- recollection of. If I had heard them, I just didn't remember them, and so the Bible came alive to me. And so whenever I now started to read it, it wasn't just a, a story of the past, and it wasn't just a story of history, it was a story of the present too. We read about Scripture being alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and that became true to me. It began to pierce my heart. It began to change my life, and it began to change me into a young man that was much different than the young man that I was. And once again, I told you this early on, like, I was not running the streets and selling drugs. Like, I was a rule follower. In fact, like, I like rules. This may sound odd to some of you, but I like rules because it lets me know what I'm supposed to be doing, and I like staying in those lanes, and I like following rules. Call me weird, but that's just who I am. Once again, Miss Melissa, maybe not so much, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. She knows I love her. Um, But... I I do like rules, and so as a little kid growing up, if my mom and dad said it, for the most part, I did it. Now, look, that's not to say that I didn't get in trouble. Another story that I left out on you guys was that me and my cousin, I used to love burning things too. Like, I like following rules, but there were some things that, that were intriguing to me. Fire was one of those things that was intriguing to me. Used to be not so much because... Once again, whenever I was probably 10, 11, 12-year-olds, I got a lot of trouble. We were burning and kind of seeing what would burn faster and how things burn, and we were inside of a storage shed. Well, the fire got away from us. We thought we had put it out. We went inside, come back out in the storage shed. The entire storage shed is on fire. The The fire department gets called. My cousin's a little bit older than me. He's smart enough to call 911. I'm on my bike. Remember, I've got my bike. I'm getting out of Dodge, right? I'm gone. He's older than me. I will let him take the fall for it, Right. Well, I get home and my mom's supposed to go run errands. And I said, Mom, I'm going with you to run errands wherever you're going. Like, <laughs> wherever you want to go, Mom, I'm going. We go shopping if you want to. I'm going. And so we get in. At that time, she had a van. And I remember laying down in the very, very back of her van. Like, even if she decides to go this direction towards the shed, they're not going to see me because I'm laying down at the back. And at that moment, I was already sick at my stomach because I knew what I had done. And I knew the fire department was down there. So we get pulled out of the driveway. And my mom's like, wonder what's happening down at the other end of the neighborhood. There's fire trucks down there. Let's drive down there and see what's going on. I'm like, no, go the other way, Mom. Well, anyways, it didn't take long for her to figure out that it was at my cousin's house, and the shed was on fire. She's like, Brandon, you know anything about this? Because you were just out at your cousin's house. I don't, Mom. Keep driving. Let's go. Well, we had to get out. We had to talk to the firemen. Of course, you know, I'm little, and they're doing their job, and they're trying to talk to us. and, And I was just completely intimidated. I knew I was in a ton of trouble. I remember getting sick in front of the fireman and he was not doing anything wrong. He was not being intimidating. I just knew how much trouble I was in because we had been playing with fire and we burned down the shed. And so outside of that, I was pretty good, right? Like I liked having rules outside of me wanting to play with fire. Now ever since then, like I'm a lot more cautious with fire. Like even my kids, we have a a fireplace in the house and like, let's start a fire down, like, I don't know, I don't know. (laughs) It's just it's still a part of me, like, I'm okay with fires. But it's just, I'm a lot more hesitant now than I, than I was whenever I was younger. I was like, let's burn everything, you know? Um, but I liked following the rules and I liked kind of being the good kid. I liked making good grades. I liked make, ha- making my teachers happy. And so because of that, I never found myself like down in the well. You remember how Joshua's brothers, brothers, um, Joseph, not Joshua, uh, Joseph, his brothers throw him down in the well. And sometimes I feel like, That's a story worth telling because uh, Joseph gets out of that and he becomes Pharaoh's right hand. Man, I'm like, that's a testimony, right? And so for the longest time, I just thought I was just a good kid and for the most part followed the rules and kind of just did whatever was asked of me. And so my story was kind of boring, right? Like I've shared a few things with you that are funny and a few things that that may be a little bit tough, but I was like, that's not a story worth telling. But then I got into high school and really began to jump into his word and read through his word and God began to change my life. And I knew later in high school that he was going to do something special in my life. I had no idea what it was. In fact, early, late in high school, early in college, I knew somehow, some way, one day I'd work in the ministry. Now, I was also stubborn enough to say at that time that that doesn't mean that I needed to be a preacher. I like to think now that that was wisdom, but I think in true honesty, I think I was still running a little bit from the Lord because at that time, my dad owned a pharmacy and he had done really well for himself and worked his way up. And owned a pharmacy, and I worked for him in the summer. So I had it in my mind: all right, Lord, I know you're calling me something to bigger and better. But here's what I'm going to do for you, right? Do y'all ever do that with God? Like I hear you call me here, but I'm like, God, I'm going to meet you halfway, and here's how we're going to do this together. And so here's what I decided: as I was leaving high school, I'd made really good grades. I was going to go to ULM, and I was going to do pre-pharmacy. I was going to go to a, a pharmacy school, and I was going to do some medical missions in the summertime but I was going to make some good money as a pharmacist. That's how I was like, all right, God, you're calling me something to something bigger and better, but I've also got this plan for myself. And so I go into, into college with really good grades and get to ULM, and we have this group, probably eight or ten of us that are in pre-pharmacy together, and we're studying. Tons of science classes plus our electives, and we're just studying together. And we're working our tails off to get into pharmacy school because you, gotta, you have to apply and you have to try to get in. And here's where my story begins to change a little bit. I, I, was, I was involved in the BCM, and so I was still doing good things. I was still tracking with the Lord, um, you know, kind of a couple of bumps in the road here and there. but really I felt like, all right, Lord, we can meet in the middle here. I hear you calling me to something else. I've got this idea. let's make this happen together." And I truly had convinced myself that the Lord was going to let me become a pharmacist, and every once in a while I would do some medical missions, and he'd be good enough that'd be good enough for him. and it'd be good enough for me. Well, out of the, let's just say it was 10 of us that were going to apply to pharmacy school, nine of us got in. One of us didn't. I was the only one that didn't get in. It was the first time in my life that I'd worked my tail off for something that I had somebody tell me, you're not good enough for this. Now, there had been some times in life that were tough. You know, I didn't always make perfect grades, or I didn't always win all my BMX races. There were times whenever I burned down sheds. Like There were times in life where I hit some other bumps in the road, but this was the first time in my life that I truly felt like a complete failure. I'd worked for two solid years to get into a school for somebody to look at me and say, you're not good enough for this school. Like That just didn't make sense to me because, remember, I decided that me and God had a pact and we had a plan together, and and I thought that that was what we were going to do. It was like, God, where are you at? Like, I've been working hard towards this, and everybody got in in my group except for me. Well, here's where a little bit of my stubbornness comes in. They tell me, hey, you're not going to get in, but you can go back and take a few of those classes that you had B's in instead of A's. I'm like, no way. Like, I'm too stubborn to go back and redo a class. If you don't want me in your program, I'm out. Right, like That was just the stubbornness of me. I wasn't going to go back and retake classes that then only counted because the way way that they did is you take take the average of two classes. So even if I went back and made an A, it was going to have to average two classes. So even if I went back and took all those classes, there was still a chance I was not going to get in. I was like, I'm out. So I decided, well, what in the world can I do now? I've spent two years in college working my tail off to become a pharmacist, and that's out of the picture. I mean, just completely out, never crossed my mind again. And so i like, what am I going to do? Well, I had some friends that were studying something similar, still in the science field, still in the medical field, but they were studying to become physical therapists. So I'm like, hey, once again, I still get to help people. I can still kind of team up with God, and I can, and I can lean in, and I can, and I can help folks, but I can also make good money doing that, and I can raise my family, and I can do my thing while still trying to do his thing along the way, right? That makes sense. So I switched over, lost a few hours. I was about a semester behind worked hard, and about four and a half years, I graduated and was ready to go to PT school. Like, we're, we're all good here, right? If it's to apply to PT school, about that same time, Katie and I decided it was time for us to get married. Actually, I decided it was time for us to get married. I don't know how I talked her into it. That's a whole other story. Well, actually, I'll tell you what. Let's back up. I'll tell you that story because it's a funny story. When we were, Katie says we were freshmen. I thought we were sophomores, but it must have been uh, later in our freshman year. A friend of mine came to us came to me, didn't go to Gatie. She came to me and she said, hey, Brandon, I know who you're going to marry. I'm like, hold up. Like, I'm a freshman in college. Like, I, I'd be glad for you to tell me who I'm going to marry. I've always wanted God to just tell me so I didn't have to try to have, like, this one thing. My friends give me a hard time about it, and it's become a part of my story. But, like, I had a bunch of girlfriends growing up. Like, I always felt like I needed somebody by my side that appreciated me and loved me. And, and it's just something about me that I felt like I needed to fit in. Remember how I was telling you about that? and it was the way that I felt validated, and so I'd always told God, like, God, if you'll just show me, even if I don't know them, who I'm going to marry, like, I can, I can stop trying to fit in by always having to feel like I had somebody by my side, so it was kind of almost like prophecy, like, I had this friend come to me and say, hey, I know who you're going to marry, and I don't know if she used those right, those same words, but, like, that's what I heard her say, this is the person that you're going to marry, this is the right person for you, I'm like, you're crazy, and so she tells me, she, at that time, Katie was working at the BCM. She was like our, uh, one of our student secretaries. And there's a big glass window. She said, that girl right there is who you're going to marry. Well, here's what's odd about that story. I was dating somebody else at that time. I'm like, this just doesn't seem to fit very well because I'm dating somebody else. And so, like, I'm just not sure how this is going to work out. Long story short, that relationship didn't work out, and so I started chasing after Katie because this is the girl that I'm going to marry, so I might as well, I might as well go try to introduce myself to her, right? Probably not, hey, I, we're going to get married, I just want to introduce myself to you, but somehow, someway, I'd taken that that advice, if you will, that prophecy, if you will, and I began to chase after Katie, and by chasing after, her, I literally mean chasing after her because she wanted nothing to do with me. We were in the same we were in the same small group at the BCL, so there was at least that common thread. She could not get away from me, uh, at least in that scenario, because she was committed to this small group. I was committed to this small group, and so she at least had to see me once a week. And I would do I just do dumb stuff to try to get her attention. I, I'm being honest with you. I would do anything I could to get her attention. I found out who her friends were, and I would try that. Out I would just try anything to get her attention, and after asking her to do a million different things, she finally agreed, for whatever reason, to go play tennis with me, and was that the first thing we did, or did we go to the play first? Do you remember the tennis? All right, so here's, here's a quick story about the tennis date, the tennis right, that started this journey uh, on nearly 20 years ago now. Neither neither of us played tennis. I think we had to borrow stuff. We went to the we went to the what listen, I was trying everything. Listen. I didn't care. We could go to Taco Bell, we could go to the tennis courts. I didn't care. I was just like, please let me have a little bit of your time. And so we went uh, and played tennis, and I remember, once again, those little nuggets that stick out, she had on these hot pink parachute pants that we went and played (laughs) tennis. I remember two things about that trip. I remember the the hot pink pants, and I remember me chasing tennis balls all around that court all night long, right? (laughs) Because neither one of us had any idea what we were doing, but I was like, this is my opportunity, this is my end, I'm going to take it. And so that began a journey that then... 20 years later, five kids later, we're still somehow, someway together. But that, that, that began a, a special journey. And so about four and a half years into my college career, Katie had fin- finished in four years. She was smart. She stayed with her major. She was an accountant major, and she, she stuck there. And she already had an internship with CenturyLink, and, and she was doing her thing. And so we decided we'd get married. Well, here's the deal. Both of us are homebodies. Like, started as our home, but, like, we both grew up. She's from Crova, I'm from Calhoun, and we kind of met in the middle. But, like, we're such homebodies that whenever it got time for me to apply to PT school, the closest PT school was Shreveport. Now, Shreveport's only an hour and a half away, maybe an hour and 45 minutes from here. That was too far away for me to go. And so because we were getting married, I'd never even applied to PT school. So I have four and a half years into my college uh, I got my degree. Four and a half years later, I'm like, what in the world am I going to do, right? Like, I have this kinesiology degree. I have an exercise science degree, and basically I could do two things. I could either go work at the gym and teach people how to exercise, or I could continue in my education. And so I said, well, I'll continue my education, and I went and got involved in the master's program, still in exercise science, at ULM. Now with the thinking of, I go into cardiac rehab specialist. So people that have strokes and heart attacks, they go through cardiac rehab and you try to help build back up their stamina and get their heart going again so that they can enjoy life. Great. It's sort of like PT, but it's for heart and stroke patients. And so I get my master's degree in a year and a half with a 4.0 because I'm, at this point, we're married. Like, I got to figure this out. I need to get a job. Like, I got to get this done. And so I worked really, really hard, got it done, scored well, and get done. And once again, we're not moving anywhere. Like, this is our home. We're going to stay here. And I just wasn't going anywhere. But the problem was I could not find a job in our area. All the jobs were filled up with veteran cardiac rehab specialists. And so now I had a master's degree in exercise science. And at least at this point, I could I had, I had, I had three options now. I could continue my studies and get some other degree or go to some other school. Or I could go work in the gym still with the exercise science degree or now I could teach what the Lord had been teaching me. And so it kind of just fell into, to my, uh, into my lap. I had an opportunity to start teaching at Riverfield Academy. And this was 2000, 2008. I got a job at Riverfield Academy because their science teacher was being um, uh, shipped off. He was, he was in the military. And so in February, I came in at Riverfield Academy and taught there and began my journey in teaching and coaching. Never on my radar until I had a master's degree in college had I ever even considered being a teacher or coach. But because God had a plan for me along the way that I had no idea what he was planning for, he was preparing me for the good that was to come. Remember Ephesians 2.10? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good things that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And so I didn't even know that he had prepared that for me. He had that job waiting for me. And I never knew it until, I guess at this point, I don't know, I was 23, 24 years old. And God had told me, this is what you're going to do for now, at least this season, possibly for the rest of your life. And so I became a teacher and a coach at Riverfield Academy, taught there for a year and a half, and then had the opportunity to move over to OCS, which I've been there for nearly 14 years now. And I absolutely love it there. And, and there's, there's something about being a part of a family at a school that's about, about like being at a church and being a part of a family here. When it works well and everybody's doing their job, it's a beautiful thing. When it doesn't work so well, it can be kind of ugly and it can fall apart and it can be tough at times. But I absolutely love what I do. Couldn't imagine doing anything else, investing into my kids at school, investing into the kids here at church. But God had prepared that for me since I was a little boy that didn't grow up in church that had a plan to go become a pharmacist, then a PT, and then a card, cardiac rehab specialist, and then eventually I'm like, I give up, God, where you want me to go. How about, how about you do what I was wanting you to do all along, and you go teach a coach? And so that's really cool how he was doing those things in my life. And so I'd like to tell you that once I got plugged in there and I was following his calling, life has been simple and it's been smooth, and I've been doing what he asked me to do all along, but the truth of the matter, that's not how life goes, is it? For any of us in this room, even when we're in his calling, even when we're in his place that he wants us to be, there's still trials and tribulations. Last week in, in Children's Church, we were talking about uh, the, the sand, and, uh, let me back up, this was at, uh, at school the other day, we were talking about this, how when we have a firm foundation in the Lord, even when the, when the winds and the storms come, guess what, we have a foundation that we can lean on, but when our houses and our foundation is built on the sand, we we're just washed away. And so I've learned that my foundation in the Lord is great, but it doesn't keep the storms from life and coming. And so I'm going to share something. This is where where it gets a little tough, and I'm probably going to shed a few tears with you. But one day when Abigail was two, is that right, Katie? I think she was two. um, We we dropped her off at my mom and dad's house, um, and Katie and I went to the movies. She was about a month from having Carson. Uh, So this was 2011, in February of 2011. And we dropped dropped Abigail off and we were going to go to the movies and come back and pick him up. My dad absolutely adored Abigail. Cuz remember there was four of us boys and all my cousins were boys except for one. And so my dad when he had a girl in the family, you better believe he loved on her big. And my dad had not been feeling too well. In fact, he had set me and my next brother down and he said, "Hey, guys, I just want you to understand there's something going on. Not really sure, we think we have an idea." But there's a really, really good chance that i only have a few years left to live. And in that conversation, I heard the words, but, it, but it's like it went in one ear and out the other because he was my hero, he was my mentor, I looked up to him, and I just didn't believe him. Like, it's one of those times somebody sits down with you and says, hey, not sure how this is going to end, but going through some stuff, and I just didn't want to believe it. So in my mind, like, he was just never going to die. Like, I didn't care how sick he was. He just, because he's never quit. He was one, he was up at sunrise, and he was always up late with us, and he did anything and everything, and he was never, never stopped. I never saw him stop unless he was sleeping. He was always on the go. So I, I, didn't, I couldn't fathom in my head that he was ever going to stop, that his heart would ever let him stop. And so that night, <clears throat> sorry dropped Abigail off and we went to the movies and he was having a really bad headache so he went to lay down and when we went to pick up Abigail my mom was playing with her said hey let me go wake up dad so that we could all tell him bye and in his sleep he had passed away I was 26 years old and lost my dad I don't know that we were best friends because I had gone through college and I wasn't at home anymore but he was big 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 in my life I in that moment, he was gone. I didn't understand, even though he had told me that he wasn't doing too well, I just didn't understand that he was gone. At that time, had my youngest brother was still at home, and as you can imagine, at 13 or 14, whatever he was, it hit him, like, I'm out of the house, I've got one kid and another kid fisting to be born, so, like, I've kind of gone my own way. Not, I mean, we were still really close, but, like, I had a family to raise, and but my youngest brother was still at home. And so losing my dad was really really tough, but the next two years were probably the toughest years in that little bit of time that I've been on earth because when my dad died, for the best, the best way I can describe it, my mom lost her mind. And you got to remember she had been married to him since she was 19 years old. He was 46 when he died. And so she had grown up with him. They had literally grown up together hand in hand side by side. And even though she was super strong, she lost what she knew, and she lost her mind. She did some things that I never could, could imagine that my mom would do. Uh, because remember, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy, and she stopped being a mama. My 14-year-old brother had to go live by himself in an apartment to finish high school because she stopped being a mama. She found this guy that she fell in love with. I didn't have much respect for him, mainly because she neglected my youngest brother and as a senior in a high school was living by himself in an apartment over by Tinseltown going to high school. Like, it's just not right. Nobody should have to do that. And I get that you guys have probably been through some tough times, but I just tell you, those couple of years were some of the toughest years of my life because not only had I lost my dad, I, I pretty much lost my mom too. And my brothers were struggling. I had a brother that struggled with alcohol. I had essentially lost him to alcoholism. I didn't have any way to, to get into his life and, and try to... try to. He tried rehabs, a couple of different rehabs. But I'm just telling you, my, my life fell apart. We used to say that my dad was the glue to our family, and my family was crazy. If you ever hear about the McWillens, it's just one of those things, we got a crazy family. My dad was kind of the black sheep of the family, not because he was crazy but he was about the only Satan one in the entire family and when he died I called him the crazy glue because he kept all the crazy together and all the crazy got crazy again because he died and my mom tried as hard as she could my my dad doing well for himself and left my mom a lot of money because he didn't want her to have to do anything other than just live life for the rest of her life and take care of us and so my mom trying to do right by my dad's family, began to give money and try to take care of his family and try to take care of her family. And, and along with losing her, she lost all of her money, essentially, as well, not not by spending it, you know, extravagantly, but just by giving it and trying to take care of the family like my dad had always done. And so life just got crazy for those two years. And eventually, my mom started to come back. I remember even going to her doorstep one day because I had convinced myself that this guy that she had now married had... He, he, he literally had alienated her from my entire family. Like, that, there's no doubt about that. But I thought, I had in my head, that she had gotten into a position that she could not get out of. Like, that's what I convinced myself because she stopped calling, she stopped talking to us. I'd try to call and she would avoid everything, that, that we would try to, to get her back because we had essentially lost her. And I showed up on her doorstep one day and I made her look me in the eyes and tell me that she was not in danger because I, I seriously thought that was the case. That's how bad things had gotten. And, and she told me, and I could see it in her eyes with all sincerity, that she believed that this guy loved her, and she was, being, she was being cared for well. And so I just left it at that. Me and my brothers left that day and basically never looked back because that's the decision she had made. She had chose this guy over our family. And, and so all I knew to do was take in my little brother and, and raise him the best I could. Now, he was still living on his own, but, like, I looked after him. He went to everything with us. Have pictures of us. Whenever I was in college, I was one of those crazy guys that I would take on my shirt and I'd paint my chest at football games. <laughs> and like I was I was a little silly at times, you know, but I was still my rule father. I wasn't breaking any rules. I was just a little crazy at times. But my little brother was right there beside me. And we have pictures of of him being there as a little boy, and, and that's all I knew to do. Because I'd lost, lost my dad, lost my mom. My family was falling apart. But God was still working, right? This whole time, I've got, not gotten into pharmacy school, chose not to go to PT school. And, but somehow, some way, I'm clinging to this at this moment. This, this, it seemed like just a string of fabric that the Lord still had a plan for our life as a family. And I didn't know what it was going to look like because everything around me was falling apart. And I'm just trying to hang on for dear life for what he was doing my life because I knew without a shadow of a doubt, even though everything around me seemed to be fading and falling apart, he still had a plan for my life. And so after that two years, things sort of began to come back together. I got my teaching job. I began to love what I was doing, got plugged in at OCS and absolutely loved what the Lord was doing in our life. And at this time in 2011, we had Carson and we had Abigail. Our family was growing and the Lord really true, genuinely was doing some good stuff. We had started to make a little bit of uh, uh, some, there were some redemption stories starting to happen to my family. Uh, in fact, my mom uh, decided to move to Alabama and she lived in Gulf Shores for a while. And that was probably one of the best things that happened to our family because the crazy that was happening here, at least a part of it went away. And it was just, I hate to say this, but it was better that my mom left and was living six hours away than it was when she was living here. And and because she did that, it actually started this this uh, redemption story. That now, I told you I'd never stop being a mama's boy, but at least I have my mama to be a mama's boy too. And in fact, she calls us—I don't know—a couple months ago. They've been living in Alabama since probably 2013, 2014. She says, uh, "Hey, I just want you to know, she takes pictures for a living now. That's what she was a banker growing up, and then she didn't work for a while when we were growing up, and then she got back into banking, but then she got into photography." So she takes people's pictures at the beach and does a great job with all that. She said, hey, I just want you and Katie to know we're missing out on too much stuff. And so from October till beach season starts again, we're coming home. And like, that's just another part of God's story that I couldn't see happening. Like I thought she was gone, gone. Things started to happen again. We started to rebuild that relationship. Now she's coming back home and I get to be a mama's boy again probably to Katie's scream. but, like, my mom was coming home. In fact, I joked with her because my mom doesn't know where they're going to live because it's kind of a short-time deal. Like, you can't rent for the whole year, but you don't really want to rent by the month. You know, they're trying to figure that out. So I was telling Katie, I said, well, we can just move Colton's room upstairs, and they can have one of, one of our rooms. And she looked at me like, you've done lost your mind, you know? <laughs> and I, I knew well enough to know I was just kidding with her. That's not really going to happen. But, like, it's, it's one of those things I still know how to, to be a mama's boy and still get under Katie's skin a little bit. But now I've learned that it's much better that I keep my wife happy than, than my mama happy. But it's just neat that some of those things are starting to work back together, right? Now, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. In, in August 2019, I went on my first men's retreat. Now, we talk about, remember how I told you those stories? Sometimes um, these these uh, testimonies are people who have hit rock bottom and are just trying to find a way out from the bottom of a bottle or the bottom of wherever, wherever they end up finding. Yeah, bottom of a pit. That's a good way to say that, Cameron. You know, and I thought that, that that's what I needed my testimony to be, and that just wasn't my story, and I didn't think I had a story to tell. But here was my drug of choice. My drug of choice was nothing that you could find on the street, but it's what you can find in everyday relationships, and it was validation from people. I found my, my self-worth in being validated by people. Remember how I told you I was a rule follower and I liked making my parents happy and I liked making my teachers happy and I liked having a girl by my side? It's because all those years I thought that I was validated by putting a smile on somebody's face or a pat on the back. And it had followed me till I don't know, what was that, 2019, uh, five years ago, four or five years ago, that had just traveled with me. And everything I did was all about trying to find validation from somebody else. And at this men's retreat, the Lord finally freed me from that. He said, Brandon, look at me and find your validation of me and stop trying to worry so much about what other people think. Now, in that, it wasn't like, oh, you can go do whatever you want to do and don't worry about the people around you. He said, no, you're still to love me and love people, but instead of worrying about if they're got your back or if they're going to pat you on the back or if they're going to smile at your jokes or whatever the case may be, let me be the one that you look to for your validation. And you're talking about a life changer, a completely 180 spin from where I was trying to chase after the joys of this world by looking at you guys and saying, could I make you laugh? Could I make you cry whenever I cry? Whatever, right? It began, it began it was a journey for me where I began to look at the Lord and say, hey, am I doing what he's asked me to do? And because of that, I find joy and happiness in this earth no matter what may come. And listen, this was five years ago, and so I was pretty well advanced in my knowledge of the Scripture. I was pretty well advanced in my understanding of my faith. But only four or five years ago did I really let go of that chain that was holding me back and began to truly live for Him unbridled in a way that I didn't have to worry about what Joey thought about me. Now, do I still care what Joey thinks about Sure, right? I like Joey. I hope Joey likes me. But I don't have to live my life wondering and going to sleep, is Joey mad at me today? Right Like you guys are going to be mad at me. my wife is mad at me eight out of seven days of the week, right it 's fine, right, and I can live with that, knowing that I can lay my head down she 's not really right it 's more like six out of seven but but I can lay my head down, knowing that even when we 're not on the same page, I know that i 'm still going to try most days, and sometimes I'll, lots of days I fall short of her and my family, but I know that I need to seek after him and his will as opposed to trying to do everything right by you guys, right? Does that make sense? And so that was just a big, big change in my life. Even though it wasn't, it wasn't cocaine, I'm telling you, it had a grip on my life just like cocaine or any other drug would. And all I wanted to do was to make the people around me happy. And so I became the yes man. If you asked me to do it, I was doing it. It didn't matter what you asked me to do. You can go ask me to to power wash the the, the steeple up there. I'm like, Let's do it. I don't need any ropes. I, don't, I just need a ladder to get up there, and I'm going to do it because you asked me to do it. And, and I put every caution to the side because I wanted to make everybody happy around me, and those things were not necessarily bad things, right? It wasn't, it wasn't bad that I was trying to make Joey like me or Mark like me or whatever. They were good things, but it, it, it held me captive because that's all that I worried about is what the people around me thought as opposed to what the Lord thought that I should be doing for him. Make sense? And so, fast forward just a little bit longer, and I know that it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while, I know. So, I want to give you kind of where we are right now. Last year, this time last year, I got invited to go on our kids camp to, to Mississippi uh, to help out with our kids. Jeremy was going, and Christina was going, and Anna was going. Christina, was that... It seemed like there was maybe one more, or was it, just, was it just us four? Okay, so us four went to kids camp, right? It was just an invitation. At this point, my kids are invested in children's ministry here. I was on a rotation to help out, you know, once a month or whatever. But I was just asked, hey, we need an extra person to go because I'm a teacher, and I don't have quite as much responsibility in the summer. Absolutely. I'll take a week off. Let's go. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so I went, and during that time, in that week, in that short week, God very clearly showed me the things that I was missing out on as a part of our children's ministry, because about, I don't know if it was a year or so, is John in here still? He was here, right? there he is. Crazy story. John Hatton knew it was his time to step down for children's ministry, and he came to me right off the bat, and he said, hey, I want you to consider this. He was not pushing me, he was not telling me, hey, you're going to take this job, he said, hey, this is something I want you to consider. I was like, all right, appreciate it, I'll consider it, I'll help out where you need me to, and we just kind of left it at that. And we had people that were filling in for our children's ministry. And I went to this camp, and the Lord began to impress on me, hey, I've got a plan for you that's a little bit different, and I want you to plug in. And what he showed me in that week is I saw the smiles and the joy in these kids, and he began to show me on the things that I was missing out on because I was too stubborn to listen to my brother, and I just wanted to be in here with you guys because this is where I'm comfortable, and I can go hide, and I can be with my friends and I didn't have to worry about a bunch of kids that, that sometimes can be a little crazy, right? Like, if you walk in, I, I guarantee you, it's 722, 724 now. They're losing control in there right now. I guarantee you, as much as I love Jamie and Chelsea, that's what happens when y'all stay in here until 730. We've lost all control down there, okay? And so I need to go down there and apologize and repent before them as soon as we get done. But I was missing out on things that he had planned for me because I was too stubborn, one, to listen to John Hatton, who is a man of God, who has great intellect, who is in tune with the Lord, all those things, but two, because I felt comfortable in here, and I didn't have to mess with the craziness down there, except for once a month. And he began to show me very clearly, Brandon, this is a role that I need you to step into. And so on the way home, I told Jeremy, I said, hey, I don't know what the Lord is doing, but I think that there's something happening here, and I would be glad to serve as the interim children's minister for Start Baptist Church. So we get back, and he's like, dude, that sounds like a great idea. It'd be nice to have a face in there every week that the kids can relate to and just have some consistency, because we had some volunteers that were stepping up and doing a phenomenal job. And so that conversation began to happen, and Elliot, I think at that time, was part of the personnel committee, I think it was called, and so I began to share that story with Elliot, and, and I don't know if y'all remember this, but we came, I think, to a business meeting or something, I don't remember exactly what it was, and Elliot started to share with you guys that I was going to step in. And he said, but there's one caveat. Brandon said he was going to be the interim pastor, but I'm not going to let him be the interim pastor. He's going to be our children's pastor. And so it took a little bit of prodding and pushing, both from the Lord and from some guys that I really trust to say, hey, this is what the Lord is calling you to. But here's what I think is pretty neat. If I would have stepped into it when John asked me to step into it, because that was something that the Lord had laid on his heart, I would not have Chelsea and Jamie by my side. Because in about that year's time, God had already, had also started to call those two ladies to children's ministry. And now we are what I like to call, you might not appreciate this, but we're the three-headed monster that controls the chaos down there. <laughs> and without the three-headed monster, I guarantee you, it would not happen the way that it's happened this past year. So that's a year that we have been in children's ministry and I, I, listen, I don't tell you this to say, hey, look at me, because remember, I, I'm past that. I tell you this because look at what God is doing. The children's ministry is hopping down there. And there's a lot of neat things that are happening down there because of the Lord and because of what he did in fashioning that group together with Jamie and Chelsea and I. And here's the neatest part of that story to me. Whenever I began to, to fall into that calling and began to trust in that calling, John came to me and he said, hey, I wasn't going to tell you this, he said, until it happened. But he said, the Lord told me you were going to be our children's pastor as soon as I stepped down. And like, that doesn't make sense because I was so far off the radar. Why would, why would God tell that to John? But he had told John it was time for him to step down, and I got, the, I got the guy for the job. He's at your church. Y'all can go look all you want, but the guy for the job sits right next to you at church. And it's just neat to look back 38 years later and see how God has been working things for his purposes this whole time. Now, once again, I'd like to tell you that in 2019, I started to get my act together and started to rely on the Lord. In 2022, I started to really fall into his calling. I got my job at the school that I absolutely love. And now I have this job at the church that I absolutely love. And I'd like to tell you that life is all good and it's smooth rolling. But like I told you earlier, storms are still coming. Storms still happen. And here's where I will finish tonight. I want to share this with you. I've been a little bit vulnerable with you already, but I'm going to be even a little bit more vulnerable with you and tell you that this summer was probably one of the toughest summers I've had. I lost my dad in 2011. That was a really tough time. Shortly after that, I essentially lost my mom. That was a really tough time. But we had a situation come up this summer that had the potential to pull my family apart. And I won't go into the details, and I won't, I won't share all that with you, but I'm just telling you there was something that happened in my life that, in that instant, had the opportunity, the possibility to shred our family apart. And when things like that happen in our life, we've been given this instinct to do one of two things. We have a sympathetic nervous system in our body that says that you can either fight or you can fly. And about three weeks ago, I chose in that moment to fly. I didn't think I had it in me to fight. I didn't think it was worth the fight. I didn't have it in me, and I couldn't trust the Lord because my family was falling apart, and I'd already done this. In 2011, I didn't have it in me to fight anymore for my family. We were camping that night. My father-in-law was so excited about taking my kids to the lake. We got his boat running again, and we were going to go too. And we were at the lake. And on a Thursday night, I packed up my truck, loaded up my boat, and I went home without my family. (laughs) Because I was not going to fight. I didn't have it in me. I just wanted to get away from the situation. And I know that sounds crazy because the Lord had already told me, you're my child and I've got your back. And what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing. There's going to be storms to come, but I got your back. But in that moment... I let all that go. I just wanted to get away. But at least I had about this much sense left in me. And I called two guys that I loved dearly. I said, I'm headed home. I need you to meet me at my house. At 10.30 that night, they had just got off the tractor, both of them, showed up at my house. and told me a bunch of stuff, but there's one thing that I will never forget. They said, under no circumstances are you allowed to give up on your family, on your marriage, or on the God that's called you to what He's called you to do. And I'm telling you, they said a bunch of other stuff that I have no idea what they said because I was so mad and I was so furious and I wanted to quit. They said, under no circumstances are you allowed to give up on your family, on your marriage or on the God who loves you. And in that moment, at about 12 o'clock that night, I don't know because we sat around for a while, really I called them because I wanted them to be mad with me, and I just wanted somebody that was going to keep me mad, and they chose not to do that. They chose to, to use their own stories, and they chose to use the stories that God had given them to speak wisdom and speak life into my life that at that moment had no life left in it. And because they chose to speak life into my life, my focus changed. And the last two weeks have not been perfect, but have been another one of those redemption stories. My favorite story in all the scriptures is the story of Joseph. I mentioned it earlier. His brothers threw him down in the bottom of a well, but God used him to become Pharaoh's right-hand man. And when his brothers come to him at the end, his, his brothers, his own brothers are the ones that threw him in the well. They come to him, and he looks at them. And he says, listen, I'm a big dog now. This isn't how he said it. This is how I think Joseph said it. He said, I'm a big dog now, and I have have the opportunity to do whatever I want to. He said, but what you meant for, for evil, the Lord meant for good. It's the only story that kept coming back to my mind when those two guys looked at me and said, you're not allowed to give up under any circumstance. And I thought of Joseph, and I thought of all the stories of redemption in Scripture, and I began to believe that he could write, rewrite my story as a redemption story too. And he has. Now, I'm on the front end of that story. So no telling what that story is going to end up looking like. But I'm so grateful that I had some people in my, in, my, in my court, in my ring with me, that I knew that I could call. And even though I wanted them to be mad with me, they said, you're not allowed to give up. Now, are we going to fight for you and with you? Sure, right? You make the call. And we'll go do whatever we need to do for you. We got your back, right? Because that's what I told them. I said, really, I just need you to go take care of a few people for me. And, and, you know, we can be done with them. And just don't let them know that I caught, you know, being silly with them. But, but they said, if that's what you need us to do, we got your back. We'll do whatever we need to do. But really, what they meant is, I've got your back. Whatever we need to do, we're going to do, but we're going to do it the way that the Lord has called us to do it. And so I share that with you, one, because to let you know, I'm a children's pastor, and I I love teaching and coaching at a Christian school, but I still don't have it all figured out. I tell you that because the storms are going to still come in my life, but I know that, one, I have a God that's never going to give up on me, but I got a bunch of dudes in this room that are never going to give up on me either. And we need that. We need that foundation in the Word, but we also need those people around us that make the body. Remember how we started this? We're all a part of the body, and when we work together, it's a beautiful thing. But guess what? Every once in a while... Our hand gets hurt, like right now I'm dealing with some tennis elbow, and so whenever I go to shake somebody's hand, I'm like, man, don't let this be one of those guys that tries to tear your arm off because it hurts so bad, right? Because my elbow hurts, my whole body is suffering. And so as a part of the body, when one of us is out of position, it hurts a little bit and the whole body surfers, suffers, but guess what? When the body is well, my, my left arm is compensating for my right arm right now and making up the difference. Until I can get well again and we can be whole. And that's what I had happen. I had some guys that stepped out of their comfort zone. I say they did. That may just be where they are. They're strong and good like that. They were able to step out and compensate for where I lost my faith and and, and my life in that moment. And said, hey, we'll take away from our families for just a little bit at 1030 at night and come pour some love into you. Because we know that that's what you need in this moment. And that's what we all need. We need, Swanee, can I borrow this? We need our firm foundation, our word that is sharper than two-edged sword, that can pierce the marrow of our bones and change our lives in an instant, right? But I also need the other parts of the body that when, my, when I'm not great, whenever I'm not good, whenever I'm suffering, somebody else is going to step in and say, hey, I got your back, and we're going to fight this together. I've heard it said this way, and this is how I'll finish up. we got two options right? The, the Lord, Jesus said, when he was being trapped in a corner, they were asking him, the elders, the teacher of the law said, what, what, what's the most important thing in life, right? He said two things, love God, love people, essentially what he said, right? you remember that, right? And so in loving people, I think we, I think we have a couple options. If, if, if Ms. Wanda's hurting, right, I could say something nice to her, like, I'm praying for you, I love you, and, and that, that can mean a lot, because if I'm sincerely praying for her, I think the Lord can do some great stuff, right? Or, listen, I could jump in the pit and walk alongside her and try to do my best to be alongside her when she's having a tough time. And that's what those guys did for me. They didn't, they didn't reach out from the pit and say, hey, good luck down there. They jumped in the mud hole with me and said, hey, we're climbing out of this together. And sometimes we need that. And I hope that it's one of those stories that when something like this happens to us, one, we become better on the backside. James had this crazy saying, Uh, verse in in the book of James, he says, consider it pure joy, my my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance goes on to build character. Like, James, what are you talking about? Like, I don't want to go through trials. Like, let me skip that part. Let me just do the fun stuff. But he says, hey, consider it joy whenever you go through this stuff because next time when somebody else is down in the mud hole, guess what? You're going to pull your britches up, you're going to jump down in the mud hole and you're going to walk through that junk with them. Right? And because people have done that in my life, all along the way, I choose to do that in your life all along the way, right? It doesn't mean that we kind of forget those things. I'd love for those bad memories. I'd love, in fact, I'd love for the memory of me burning down that shed. I wish it wasn't in my memory bank anymore because that was not a good time. It's a funny story now, but it was not at that time. And it, and it kind of sheds light on, on who I was as a young kid that had this desire to burn everything, right? And, like, that's not my favorite part of my story. And I'd love to forget that, but guess what? It's part of my story. And it's somehow some way, made me who I am as a child of God, right? And so all those things that we go through, somehow some way, Miss. Leslie, the Lord is working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Right? How cool is that that somehow He is navigating our path before we even see it. in the bumps and the bruises, and even whenever I get off track, the Lord is nice enough and gracious enough and merciful enough that He says, "Yo, bro, let's get back." On your lane. Stay in your lane, buddy. I'll take care of the other stuff. You stay in your lane. And sometimes he's had to do that. Sometimes it's gently, like puts his arm around me and just guides me back into the lane. And sometimes, wow, right? I need a swift kick in the rear end to get back in my lane, right? We all need that sometimes too. And sometimes he does that in only a way that he can. Sometimes he does that in his word. And sometimes he does that in our friends that he puts in our life that that sometimes come slap you upside the head and said, (laughs) hey, Get your act together. We're going to figure this out together. Cool? Cool. Let me pray for you guys, and we'll go see if they're still alive down there. (laughs) Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for our stories that have become a part of your story. We're so thankful that you give us the opportunity to be in this life with you, and we know that even if we're running away from you, like somebody like Jonah, Lord, you still are chasing after us. Even when everything seems to be going around us like Job, we know that you are still right by our side, Lord. And I pray that just an ounce of my story has resonated with somebody else tonight, Lord, just to show you, show them that you are a part of our stories and that you are navigating our paths through the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I pray that as we go out, Lord, please remind everybody in this room that they have a story that's worth sharing. And when they get the opportunity to do that, like in 1 Peter 3.15, that you give us the hope and the joy to share about the hope that you have put in our life. That you give us the determination, the desire to tell people about the hope in our life, whatever that may look like. Maybe it's in just regular conversation. Maybe it's in front of a bunch of people. Maybe it's not, Lord. Maybe it's just in those little daily activities that you give us the opportunity to share your story as a part of our story. And so as we go about our day, Lord... I pray that we go remembering that you are right by our side in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.